two and a half weeks, um, my little guy turns one. Crazy how fast this year has flown. This week I was kind of pro, I mean, it's his first Christmas. You know, everything is new as parents, you know, try, well, Haley's trying not to go overboard with all the gift giving and buying and stuff. And, um, I, I was spent a lot of time thinking back over that day when he was born. And, um, and what a crazy, crazy day it was. I mean, we had it all planned out, right? We had it all mapped out. You know, she, the doctor had said, hey, this is a due date and we don't want you to go past the due date. And so you need to come and get induced into labor. And we thought, hey, this is going to be perfect. She'll get induced. Um, she'll, she'll have the baby a couple hours later and there'll be no problems and we'll just go home and, and everything. But, yeah. Ladies, you all know it doesn't work out that way, right? <laughs> especially, especially that first little guy. And I, I remember all these feelings of anxiousness and, and being scared and being excited and the craziness of all of that. Anybody remember when they had, yeah. But at the same time, a strange peace, strange peace being there with me. You know, we had, we had, as the day progressed, um, you know, of course, for those of you that know our story, things didn't go as planned. You know, she got all the, the medicine to be induced into labor and started having contractions. And then, you know, her water broke while they were checking one of, you know, one of, throughout the day. And, and then the, the contractions really got amped up. And, you know, I remember she, you know, not having the epidural yet and my hands getting ripped off, you know, by her squeezing them and just thinking, are, you know, am I going to make it? You know, she's going to kill me. This could be the day. And, um, and just, and, and then as, as the labor continued, um, her, she didn't, you know, progress the way she was supposed to. And, and every time she'd have a contraction, the baby's heart rate would drop down really, really low. And it was starting to really worry the doctors. And, and of course, as the doctors started talking about it, you know, we started getting anxious about it. And then finally the doctor came in and said, look, this isn't going to happen. She is not having the baby, a normal delivery. We have to do a C-section. And you can either, it's up to you, you can wait, you know, another day and see if, you know, the labor happens. Or we can just get this done and get this guy out of there while he's still strong and still healthy and not stressed out because of the delivery that wasn't going the way we wanted it to. And just like that, we looked at each other and we just said, let's do it. And it felt like five minutes later, they had her on a table and wheeled her back you know, to the delivery room to start the C-section. And for me, in the midst of all that, it was like, even though the chaos of all that was happening, there was still a sense of peace. I was that weird dad sitting in the hallway that every single person that walked by, I was like, hey, you know I'm having a baby today? They're like, yeah, we could guess. I mean, you're in the maternity wing and you're all dressed up, ready to go into surgery. Yeah, the lady pushing the carts with all the food for all the ladies. Hey, I'm having a son here in a few moments. My wife's already back there. I'm going back. And they're just like, this guy is going crazy in the hallway. But there was a sense, a sense of peace and calmness. And I thought, man, I wish, I wish that I could have that same sense of peace that I had that day every day. That even though it was chaotic, even though there were moments of scariness and there were fearful and, and nervousness, there was still this idea that, that I knew that God was in all of it. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about peace. If I were to ask you what your life was like from about 
November 23rd until today, would you use the word peaceful? Probably not. I hear a few ladies chuckling in the back. Probably not. I mean, it's been chaotic. It's been crazy. All the running and going, gifts and parties and stuff and schedules. And in the midst of all that, if you're anything like a normal person, you you start having anxiety and just craziness, chaos and all of it. Yet, God has promised us peace. Do you have peace? Isaiah, we've been doing this series called The Promised One, and we've been looking at Old Testament prophecies and how they're fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We're about to read in Isaiah chapter 9, but before we do so, we have to remember what's happening to God's people in this moment. Does anybody know what, what is happening to God's people in the book of Isaiah? Where are they right now? In what? Captivity. Right now, they are, they, they are captive in their own land. There is an outside force ruling them and lording over them and has taken everything that they own and fought for. What was once the most powerful nation on earth is now a captive to another nation. And this is what Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. He says this. Maybe you've recognized it. He says, for, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Read this next part with me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Isaiah is promising here, there is coming a time when the Messiah will come. And when he does, he will bring peace to your chaotic life and situation. And that's what Jesus came to do. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. You have to put this in context. In this moment, this is one of Jesus' last moments with his disciples. This is in the upper room. He's about to be betrayed in the garden and and, and, and tried and, and crucified. And listen to what he says to his disciples in John 14. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Did you hear it? He says the peace that I'm going to give is a gift that the world can't give you. So don't worry. So don't be afraid. Pastor Jared, if this is a peace that Christ gives, is this a peace that we receive? How do I? How do I prepare myself for that. I'm going to give you a few ways how you can open your heart to Christ's peace today. First one is this. A promised peace. How do we receive this peace of Christ in our lives? The first thing we need to do is that we need to understand that He gives us peace as we learn to trust Him in prayer. He gives us peace as we learn to trust Him in prayer. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6-7. through Now Paul wrote this from prison. He's, he's soon to lose his life for Christ. Listen to what he writes. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Read this next part with me. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Pray about everything. How many of you are willing to admit this morning that you usually do it backwards? You worry about everything and pray about nothing. Anybody? Yeah, it's hard. 
We get it backwards. Paul says, I don't want you to worry about anything, but pray about everything. Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety, all your fear, all your worries on Him, on Jesus. Why? Because He cares for you. How much more peaceful would your world be if you stopped worrying about everything and started about anything and started praying about everything. How much more peaceful if we just took all the anxiousness anxiousness of our life and we cast it upon Jesus in prayer. I saw this meme this week that says this. It says, can you throw that up there? This next slide. It says, prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. I love that. Prayer is the bridge between panic and peace. The word peace in the New Testament means to bind together, to come together, bind together. It's like this, all the fragmented piece of your lives. Have you ever used the term, it seems like it's all coming apart at the seams? Have you ever used that or heard that term before? That that idea that life is just fraying and coming apart. Well, but, but, but peace, there's a steadiness that comes over it ties it all back together another definition another definition for peace in the new testament is is the idea of of becoming one that there's a wholeness to it so so in essence when peace comes it's like when we go to god in prayer it's our opportunity to bind our life together with his it's like we take our fear and bind it to christ who's the victorious one. We, we take our anxiety and our anxiousness and our instability and we bind it with Christ, who's the stable one. We take our chaos to Christ, who is sovereign and Lord. When we do this, He can give us peace that He promised when we go to Him in prayer. Here's the second thought. So He gives us peace when we spend time in His presence. When I say spend time in His presence, I, I, this is beyond just saying a quick prayer before you go to bed. This is ex- an experience that happens when, when we, when we connect with God on a spiritual level. When we lean into Him and allow His presence to overwhelm our lives for a moment. Have you ever watched an anxious child? You have a toddler or, or a, a, just a young kid and they're in a room with with a large group of people or, or a loud noise happens and they start getting anxious and they start getting worried and, and the parent picks them up and what happens? He begin, it begins to soothe and begins to calm and begins to get reassurance. Now here's the question, here's the thought, is did any of the circumstances change? The room is still chaotic, right? The loud noise is still going on. All the outward forces are still happening, but there's now a presence in the child's life that brings him peace. There's an incredibly calming effect that happens on their life. And here's the, we all, we all need this experience. We get going on a frantic pace in life and we get all out of sorts and we lose focus and we lose patience and we become less tolerant of the people around us. We become anxious and we become stressed. And and the truth is, is that we need to slow down and step out of the stuff and chaos that's happening around us and spend time with the Father. 
We need to lean into Him. And when we do, He has this incredibly calming effect in our life. Does that make sense? Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. This might shock a few of you. It says, Yet the news about Him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear Him, to be healed of their sickness. Now read this next part with me. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, if Jesus needed to get away from the craziness from time to time and pray and talk with God, don't you think we might need it too? Yeah. We all need the presence of God. It's only in His presence can we find that deep healing and comfort and peace that we're all really looking for. Any of you recognize the name Thomas Dorsey? Thomas Dorsey is a a pretty famous jazz musician. Um, He grew up in Atlanta, the son of a Baptist pastor. Um, He was a talented musician. His mom um, was a music teacher. um, And late in in his teens, early 20s, he moved to Chicago to really get into jazz. And, and he became very, very popular. He got married, and, and, he, and he said he just, I was reading about him, he said he just got caught up in it all, the whole jazz scene. But at the age of 28, he had this experience with God where he really surrendered his life. He says at this moment, even though he grew up in the church, he believes that at this moment he became a Christian. Tommy, Thomas, he he didn't just want to play at nightclubs and bars for the rest of his life. He also wanted to use his talents for God. And so he started singing um, and getting involved in church and helping with revivals and leading revivals and meetings. And he had an amazingly talented voice and a musician. In August of 1932, um, he was uh, was, uh, scheduled to go to a a revival in St. Louis. um, And he was pretty anxious about leaving his wife um, because she was nine months pregnant. And so they began to talk about, um, you know, this, and 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 he knew that his wife was counting on him, but he, she assured him, you know, everything's going to be everything's going to be okay. So he went. He said the revival went amazingly. I mean, it was a, a powerful, powerful moment. The people were thrilled to have them there and for him to use his talents and glory for God. And he said at, at one point he was sitting on the side of the stage and people were wanting him to come back out to continue to do some more songs after the speaker. Um, while he was waiting to go back out, um, a Western Union delivery boy handed him a piece of paper that said that your wife just died in delivery. He said, I was sitting in this arena full of people that wanted me to come out and sing. And he said, I'm staring at this piece of paper that said, my wife has just passed away. He said, I was completely overwhelmed. He quickly left and made his way back to Chicago. His wife had gone into early labor and and died during the delivery, um, but she had this baby boy. And he said, man, I was, he said, I was just torn. These mixed emotions. You know, I'm holding this little boy and, and, you know, so excited about his life, but at the same time grieving this loss of his life, of his wife passing away. He said that night the unthinkable happened and his son died also. The lowest point of his life. He said, literally, I buried my wife and my son in the same casket. Um, 
He said, I went to a deep, dark, dark place asking God, God, where are you in all of this? He said, I feel like you're a million miles away. He stayed in this place of depression. So one, one Saturday, a Christian friend of his who was a professor at a college, um, he said the two of them went to dinner. Afterwards, the professor invited him back to the, to the college and, and uh, next to, next to his office, there was a room that had a piano in it. And he just said, he said, Tommy, I just, I just want you to sit at the piano and listen to God. He said, my friend knew that my pathway to God was through music. And, uh, and he wanted me just to have a few moments where I could listen. And so he did. And I just sat there with his hands on his keys and he leaned into God. He said, I can't explain what happened, but in that moment, I was overwhelmed with peace. He said, it was as if God had taken both of his hands and laid them on my shoulders, just steadying me. He said, while I was there, I felt God was very near, and I started remembering some of the songs that I played on the piano. And He said, I just began to play. And as I played, these words came to mind. Maybe you've heard them before. He wrote this song. It says, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on into your light. Precious Lord, precious Lord, take my hand. He said in that moment, the presence of God began to heal, began to heal Tommy's heart. And he became one of the most prolific gospel writers of his day. Maybe you've heard the song sung by Aretha Franklin or Elvis Presley or one of the numerous other gospel singers. There's a there's a power and a peace that we will never fully experience until we experience the presence of God. You know, when we talk about reading the Bible, when we talk about having a quiet time, it's not about doing a duty and checking a box off and saying, hey, I got it done for the day. But it's about leaning into the presence of Almighty God. Here's a third thought. Is that God gives us peace when we learn to view life from his perspective. Do you understand? Do you understand that how you view things affects how you feel about things and how you how you feel about things affect how you behave? It's like the, the old saying, you see what you get, you know, what you see is what you get. There's a lot of an anxiety that we face is determined by how we look at things. But Jesus came to change how we look at things. Jesus came, I put this in your notes, just three quick thoughts that Jesus came to change. Jesus came to change the way we view contentment. Anybody, I need some help from some of the parents. What is the go-to toy that kids want this year? Anybody? What's the craze about this year? The go-to toy. What's that? Fingerling things? I don't even know what a fingerling thing is. Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. G.I. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. There's all this stuff. Here's the deal. Is that every year there's that toy 
that kids have. When I was a kid, it was a Cabbage Patch doll. And for some reason, my mom thought that even boys needed Cabbage Patch dolls. I don't know why. I never even took the thing out of the box. I hope I didn't. I don't remember. But it's like, why? But that was, you guys remember those Cabbage Patch days? How insane people went? You couldn't live without. Couldn't live without that one special toy. But here's the thing. Is that attitude we often take with us through our adult years? We think that contentment is determined by how much we have. And so we chase after that house that we think is going to make us happy. Or um, that certain car or truck that we can't live without. Or, or maybe it's a number on our 401k that we're shooting for. And until we get that, we, we're just not content and we're not happy. It's like as, as if what we have determines our satisfaction and contentment in life. Jesus talked about this same issue in his day. On the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he said this. Now this is a Jared paraphrase. He says, why are you so anxious about all this stuff? Why do you worry? He said, the birds of the air, they don't plant and they don't reap, but, but God feeds them. And how much more does God love you than he cares about these birds? He says, the lilies of the field. They don't sow clothes for themselves, but God has arrayed them in beauty. And if God has done that for them, how much more is He going to provide for you one that He loves as much as He... Now, this is a Jerry paraphrase, right? You're worth so much more to God than that. What are you worried about? What if we changed our view about what it means to be content and we saw it from Jesus' perspective? What if we became grateful for what God has blessed us with now? Here's a second thought. is He changes our view of success. We think if we just can attain that title, right? Sports. Like in sports, it's whoever scores the most points. But is that really what's important, scoring the most points? Maybe it is for the team. But the individuals on the team, is it that what really is most important? What about defense? What about assists? What about making other people better? Trey Young is a freshman um, for the um, for the University of Oklahoma Sooners. He plays on their men's basketball team. Um, he's from Norman North High School. And, and just last week, he set the record, um, the NCAA record for most assists in a game. Um, he had 22 assists in a game. But he also scored 26 points in that same game. Um, he has like eight or ten games in a row where he scored at least 26 points. And in this game, he had 22 assists. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this point. Which of those two stats is more impressive or more important for his team? Is it the 26 points or the 22 assists? The 22 assists count for anywhere between 44 to 66 points determined on what kind of basket they scored. The 26 points is pretty good. But the 22 assists set a new record. Just a couple days ago, James Harden, a guard for the Houston, um, the Houston Rockets, had two games in a row where he scored 50 points, setting an NBA record. Here's the thing. In both games, his team lost. An uh, interviewer asked him after, what does it feel like to be the first player to score 50 points in back-to-back games? And he said, did my team win? I said, no. Doesn't feel that good. Jesus had this point of view that he said, if, if you really want to have a great life, then make your life about making other people's better. He actually told his disciples, the greatest among you will become a servant for all. 
See, Jesus changes our view of success. He says it's not about you. It's about how you can make other lives better. Here's a third thought. Is that he changes our view of people. It's just us here this morning. How many of you would say, Jared, I would totally be at peace if I wasn't surrounded by people? Anybody? Unfortunately, probably some of you had a certain person come in mind, right? Here's the truth. The hard truth is this, is that we, we forfeit our peace to other people. We do it. What would happen if you would view those other people through the eyes of Jesus? How would that change your heart if you saw them the way God does? You know, every every one of us has a sour person in our life, right? You know, the type of person that sees like the negative in every situation. They light up the room when they leave. You know, those type of people. <laughs> Here's the truth. You'll get some of you will get that here in a second. Here's the truth: is that every person has a story. Every person has a story. Every person has a reason why they are the way they are. And our perspective of people will begin to change when you know enough of someone's story. You can have peace. You just have to see them through different eyes. And that allows you to have peace. Paul says it this way, and I think it's a good verse for all of us. 2 Corinthians 5.16. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We could probably use do that a little bit more in life. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We view them through God's point of view. Here's a, here's a last thought. Is that God gives us peace when we let Him make us a new person. When we let Him make us a new person. You won't have peace in your life until you have peace in your heart. There's a health and fitness column where you can write questions about health and life, fitness, and people get to respond to it. And they sometimes also write about mental health. And this this uh, this kid, this young man, wrote in. He says, "Okay, this is uh, rather a self-absorbed question, but one that goes to the heart of the human condition." So here it goes. He says, "I live what most people, me included, think is a great life. I'm in my late twenties, and I have a beautiful wife, a relatively new house, a brand new car." And a fun job in the industry I always dreamed of working in. And more toys than I can count. I get to travel a lot and see friends and meet new people all the time. So why am I not happy? So I've gone to a psychologist and he says that I'm just a normal guy that seems happy, but deep down I'm really not and I have no idea why. Am I the only one that feels this way? Is there anything I can do about it? People were commenting. They were saying things like, get a pet. Pets make you happy. Have a kid. Kids make everything better. Are you kidding me? I know. I love Bubba. I love him. Get a hobby. Have something to do. Volunteer. When you volunteer, you'll be happy. And I'm reading that. I'm thinking, you're missing the point, what you need is God. 
That is what you need. Until you have a peace of God in here, there's nothing out here that's going to make you happy. Amen? Amen. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Colossians 1. He says, For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. I think, Pastor Jerry, what are you saying? I'm saying this, you can have a great wife, great husband, a new car, a new house, the perfect job, but you will never know peace until you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I can give you peace. And it's a peace that the world cannot give. It's the peace that you're really looking for. This Christmas, you can have peace in this crazy world that we live in. Maybe today, Maybe today, for the very first time, you need to look for Christ. For the very first time, you need to admit your need for a Savior. And when you do, when you ask for forgiveness, when you surrender your life to Him, I promise you there will be a peace that Christ, and only He can give as He gives you a new heart and a new life. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're just going to say, you know, Jared, I have to confess. I haven't spent a whole lot of time in prayer. I've been worrying about everything and praying about nothing. Maybe this morning it's your moment to confess and say, you know what, I want to reverse that. I want to pray about everything. I want to worry about nothing. I want my life to be in the hands of God. Maybe you've allowed the busyness of this world to pull you away from the presence of God. And this morning you just need to commit to today, tomorrow, at some point, on a, on a regular basis, leaning into that presence that brings peace as we surrender our life daily, over and over again to Him as King and Savior. And as we do, that presence of God in Jesus changes our perspective in life. We begin to see things, not from a human point of view, but from a God point of view.